Alright guys, honesty time. This is a boring episode. <laughs> I actually completely forgot this episode even existed. And I'm rewatching it and I'm like, I don't really remember this. Yeah, I definitely don't remember this. Yeah, this is definitely one of the meh, episodes. I remember looking at the clock at one point and being like, oh my god, it's only halfway through the episode. And I don't know if you can read this because of how bright I have the light on, but these are all my notes. This is this is like one, two, three, four, five. This is seven lines of text. So this is also going to be a short episode on my part. Sorry, guys. As I've said before, though, there's no such thing as a series, at least in my opinion, uh, and in my experience, that has universally good episodes. In fact, this is also sadly enough not the last bad episode of Babylon Five. It's ironic because both these episodes were both written by JMS directly. And both of them were trying to be action pieces. And both of them fall completely flat. There's no drama. There's no tension. It's just... Ugh. This is going back to what I was talking about earlier regarding JMS. We all know that as writers we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. And JMS is really good at what he does well. He's good at the political thriller. He's good at uh, war. He's good at culture. He's good at societies. He's good at message shows. You know, he does a lot of that stuff really well. Um, he's also good at some really tight character interactions and character growth. He is not good at uh, tension, mystery, suspense, action, or uh, drama, which is basically what this episode is, with the exception of one scene. I actually made a note early on here that this episode is pointless uh, and, and the exact opposite of last week's episode. Now, this isn't 100% true, but if you think about it, last week's episode had no threat of the week, no big problems, just... Big emphasis on character and focus and culture and development and all that stuff. This episode, excuse me, this episode is like the exact opposite of that. This episode is no character development, no character focus, no emphasis on culture, just, God, oh my God, and it's taking him over, and oh, I know I'm killing him. Oh, it's protect. I will say this. This was the very first episode of Babylon 5 uh, after The Gathering that was filmed. Uh, and it shows. God, it shows. Everyone is stiff. Everyone's a little jerky. The directing camera work is just kind of subpar. You, can, you just can tell that this was them starting out, you know. And that is an unfortunate reality of most TV. When when you have the first few episodes, you, you get used to stuff, and it's like, okay, let's let's get used to each other, let's get used to our roles, etc., etc. Even Sinclair feels, for lack of a better way to put it, more flat than usual. I've 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 stood in defense of of Michael's uh, portrayal of Sinclair, and I will stand in defense of that in the future. But in this episode, this is probably the one exception to that, where you can tell he just had no idea what he was doing and how to portray his character at all, um, because it was his first time doing so. So that basically just counts. Um, I mentioned, made a note here, the uh, the drama was very forced. Uh, I'm already about halfway through my notes, this is ridiculous. Um, wait, no, I am uh, all the way through my notes, except for one note. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to drag this out into a real topic here. Actually, I got, I got two notes. That's right. I didn't write down the other one. Okay, so let's talk about the character thing. There is one bit at the end there where uh, Garibaldi goes to Sinclair, and he's like, look, I'm your friend, not your superior, not your uh, junior officer. I fought in the war, too. I've seen plenty of other people who survived the war against the Mimbari. You, um, 
I and he as just like in last episode, he can't bring himself to just come right out and say it. So he basically just says in as blunt of a way as possible without actually saying it. Sinclair, I'm worried you're suicidal. And I like that because it makes a lot of sense given everything we know about Sinclair, and given the massive amount of survival guilt, survivor's guilt he has, given the massive problems and trauma he's gone through. It, it it puts a light on all of the frontline perspective he keeps doing. How I mean, every episode so far, literally every episode, he's either been in a fighter or on the front lines, you know, in person, trying to actually be in the thick of it to deal with things. Now, I, I shouldn't say suicidal, because that is a different thing, and I should know, having a lot of real-life experience with that concept. Uh, the correct term here would be more along the lines of a death seeker, a.k.a. someone who is not actively... Uh, you know, I want to die, but is in a position where they actively seek situations where they might die well, which is a completely different uh, concept there. Um, and in this his case, Sinclair's idea of being, you know, dying a hero, trying to go out, making a difference, that kind of a thing. Um, you could argue uh, Kirk, James T. Kirk, has that same death seeker thing, except for the fact that he's not seeking to die. I mean, really, that is the, that's the distinction right there. Kirk went into incredible, you just flung himself into situations with charisma, with machismo, with cunning, with strength, with, with, with trust and respect in his crew and the people around him. And he believed he would be brought out of it again because of all those facts. Sinclair does the former with no expectation to be pulled out of it again. And if you pay attention, this has been true every, like I said, basically every episode thus far, and will be true in the future as well. So again, uh, that is a nice character bit for Sinclair, and that makes sense because this is JMS and that is something he does well. Uh, Sinclair's line, I don't have an answer for you and I feel like I should, really rings true there. The other thing I want to talk about is how incredibly stupid these people are. The Akarans? I don't even remember what they called themselves. The dumbasses, we'll just call them. Um, the one thing I like that the episode does hit the nail on the head of is how genetic purity is a lie. Like, the only way to achieve actual genetic purity would be artificial means to determine, you know, this is the pure stock, and then to literally clone that stock infinitely. That's it. That's all. Um, even that wouldn't necessarily work because of, depending on the method of cloning involved. So, yeah. And it makes sense. It, it, as he points out, and he says it a little bit too bluntly, but as he's pointing out, you know, too, too tall, too short, blah, blah, blah. What we are seeing is an alien race that had advanced technology that suddenly had the Nazis take over. I mean this sincerely. Imagine if Earth was at that level of sophistication when the Nazi party started coming over with their genetic purity garbage. And yes, I know the Nazis are not the only people to do that, both in the past and the future. There have been others since then. There have been others before then. I use the Nazis as this term because it's easier than saying a group of psychopathic idiots who think that going after genetic purity is a good thing. So it's a little simpler and easier to just say Nazis. Anyway, so the Nazis had actually had access to this incredible technology and actually had the ability to create super perfect weapons that would wipe out everything that wasn't pure. But how do you, again, how do you determine what is pure? I mean, it, it's so dumb of a concept. It's like, it's like the concept of a perfect circle. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing, okay? Any circle is going to have some variance in it, right? I mean, this is basic mathematics at this point. You cannot have a mathematically perfect circle in real life, in, in concept, in fiction, yeah, sure. But you can't have genetic purity because all you could have is the one template and that'll apply to that one person you designed it for and everyone else is going to be a variance based on that. 
And I like the uh, the horrifying mental image that is that is d designed here of these people who wiped themselves out of existence because they were slowly killing off people who varied by a large amount from the profile. Well, all those people are dead. Well, let's. What about these people? What about these people? What about these people? Here's some people who vary by, off of it by by one micron. Oh, well, kill them because they're not genetically pure. <sighs> wouldn't be hard to think of that actually happening here, again, if the technology had existed for that kind of concept, for the Nazis or anyone else like that. And it is kind of a terrifying concept. It's funny because I was actually in chat on my Twitch chat. I like to hang out in my Twitch chat even if I'm not streaming. Um, and we were talking about Fallout 3. And this is directly relevant to Fallout 3, given that President Eden's whole plan was exactly this flawed. We must have... We must, all, all, it will destroy anyone who is not genetically pure or is not altered by radiation or mutation. Except for the fact that everyone is, <laughs> even their own people, thanks to their limited exposure to the service. So, again, a complete fallacy that they adhere to as if it was true. Now, in Eden's case, he had the he had the you know the the justification of being a freaking AI who was broken. What was the alien races justification in this episode? Uh. That's it. That's all I got. I don't have anything else to talk about. I'm sorry, guys, for the short episode, but eh, what are you going to do? Um, I don't even have any spoilers to talk about this episode. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll see you next week.